0: Today, we come to the very end of a series of messages that has taken us really two months to go through, in which we've considered the theme of the garden as it appears in the literature of the Bible. The very first story which is told in the Bible takes place in a garden, in the Garden of Eden. And it's a place where everything is as it should be. Everything is perfect. It does not take long, unfortunately, for things to break down. And the middle of the Bible, in some measure, is the story of a cycle of misery that's brought about by the path that men and women find themselves on after the fall in the garden. The Bible ends, as it begins, with a garden. And today we're going to take our time in the garden with which the story ends. It's a garden that is given in a vision from Jesus to John, in which there are profound promises about the future, which, if we'll let them, will encourage us in the present. Does anyone need encouragement in the present? Yes or no? (laughs) Yes? Oh, yeah. Life can be heavy. Uh, Sadly, there are many things which are out of order. But what's given in the book of Revelation is a vision to John which is meant to inspire the disciple who faces challenges to keep on going. And there are promises which are there, which I'm gonna set before us this morning, which if you take them to heart, will have the power to carry you through today all the way to the end. Here, listen and imagine this. Imagine the end of conflict. Does that sound good? Do you think there's some conflict that should come to an end? Yes or no? How about the end of loss? Has anyone in here lived with loss and their lives are heavier because of it? How about the end of illness? For you or for the people around you who you love? How about the end of sorrow? Every grief done away with and turned into joy instead. The book of Revelation is a book which is confusing. Has anyone ever read through it and thought, what is happening here? (laughs) It is. There's a lot in, in Revelation that It's hard to understand and grasp, and it's very prone to misunderstanding and misapplication. If you look at the history of how that book was dealt with, it's not hard to see that when people get obsessed with the question of when is the end going to come, they find themselves on rabbit trails that are unhealthy. But this morning, we're not going to ask about when, but instead, we're going to let a picture of what the end looks like, not when, but what it looks like, give us courage and strength for the time we're in, because that's what we need, and it's what God means to give us. And listen, in the beginning, everything went wrong in a garden. In the end, everything's going to be made right, also in a garden. And we see that in the vision that's given in Revelation 22. And though there are lots of components of this vision which are hard to grasp, there are some which are clear enough to help us. And so let's look together at Revelation 22 after describing what this New heaven and earth would be like when God is right there with his people. John reports what he sees in the vision that is given to him in these words. This is verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. In the very center of this new creation that God will bring about when He's with His people at the end, there is a city. And imagine the very best that cities have to offer. Imagine a perfected society where everyone cooperates and all that could be good is good right there. And in the center of this city, there flows a river. It's bright, it's crystal clear, it's pure water, and it's flowing right through the middle of the city. And, and this image in an environment where this vision was first given in the arid near east, can you picture what it would be to, to imagine a river that flows right through the middle of everything? Picture yourself in a desert. A river there in the desert is a vision that says what is necessary for life to thrive will always be right there. Think of your own life. Everything you need to thrive is right there. It's a vision of life. If you were here when we listened to the vision that was given to Ezekiel about the river of life, notice there, it's not just a river. It's the river of the water of life. Long before this revelation was given to John, the prophet Ezekiel lived in a time of great distress. And there, God promised, one day there will be a river that flows from the temple. It gets deeper as it goes. It comes from the presence of God, and everywhere it goes, it brings life. This is a way of saying in this fallen world of ours, where wherever we look, we see elements of death, there will one day again be a river that brings life, that turns around everything that has gone wrong so that it's right All the way back there in Eden, the way it was, this vision says, is how it will be all the way there at the end. As it was in the beginning, so it shall be when God establishes his kingdom here as in heaven, as in Eden. The vision promises restoration. At the end, the garden will flourish as it had at the beginning. And now look at what John says next. This is verse 2b. On either side of the river is the tree of life. Does that phrase ring a bell to some of you? the tree of life, help me out, I can't tell if you're there. Yes? Thank you. With its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Trees are growing on both banks of the river. Again, in the desert environment where John is accustomed to living, there are no trees growing like this, only in very special places. But here, there are trees on both sides, and they bear fruit all year long, all 12 months, and not one kind of fruit, but 12 different kinds. Anyone who studies the scriptures knows that the number 12 is symbolic of completeness and totality. The vision is saying, in God's kingdom... There is more than enough, superabundance. And in the end, what was lost will be brought back again and restored and magnified. And that's, that's clear because the trees which are growing are not just any trees, they are, look again, the tree of life. The tree which Adam and Eve lost when they were expelled from the garden. In the city that God will establish at the end, the, the tree is back. And, and there is enough of it for everyone Enough of it to go around everywhere. The blessing at the end is magnified. And now, look carefully at the nature of this blessing. There's a, a word here which you are meant to take to heart. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. All of the wounds that have plagued the stricken world will finally be healed. Everything that has been broken will be fixed. All that has gone wrong will finally be set right. Do you think that the nations need healing now? Yes? What are the wounds plaguing the nations that require miraculous intervention, which really get under your skin? Are there any that when you see the state of the world, they really, for you, they they make your blood pressure go up? How about our country's wounds? Do you think our country has some wounds that need healing? Yeah. Uh, Turn your attention in a little bit. How about your personal wounds? Have you got any? Yeah. Maybe some of you carry wounds that are so heavy that you can't even say yes and nod here because your heart is stricken with grief wherever you see the need for healing. And if you're honest, you'll see it. The vision that is given here of the end, says to you, healing will come. It will. In the end, healing will come. In every way that you need healing, in every way that this Community around us needs healing in every way that our church needs healing or your family needs healing, your children need healing, this country needs healing, the world, all of it will be made well in the end because as it was in the beginning in Eden, before that fall, so it shall be at the end and everything that has been broken will be fixed and all that has been wounded will be healed. Does it feel like it's too much to hope for? It is not too much to hope for, I promise. Do you know the power in the present, of a good future to believe in. Do some of you know that? When you know how it's going to end, does it help you through challenges in the present? Yes or no? I know it does for me. I can remember when I was a child. The thing I hated more than anything else in life was school. Was anyone else in that boat? Are you in that boat? Oh, I couldn't stand school. But around January, I began to feel joyful because summer was coming. And I knew it would come. And that carried me through. The vision that was given to John was given at a time when life was hateful and hard. And it was meant to inspire the disciples to trust God so that they would be carried through the challenges. And the promise here is that healing will come. I have four ways to set before you that healing will come, which if you take to heart can give you courage and strength for the present. There are things right now which are bad that will end and you should believe it and trust in it and hope for it. Here, the first thing that I'll set before you, which is a promise not from me, but a promise that is trustworthy in God, is that one day we will all see the end of conflict. Can you imagine what it would be like for there to be no more conflict? Throughout the Bible, one of the most consistent signs of sin and trouble in the world is conflict. First, it's between Adam and Eve. Then it's between Adam and Eve and God. Then Cain and Abel. Do you know that story? Already brothers are killing each other. Then between tribes and nations. And ever since, conflict has rolled along in this world and it has spoiled what was otherwise good. And the conscience of every person who cares for fellow man, for fellow woman, for for the people that God has made in his image, is wounded whenever conflicts emerge again and cause misery to spread. But already back in the prophets, the, the, the men who were sensitive and heard God's voice, they looked ahead and they knew that one day God will put an end to all conflict. Here, before we hear these words from Micah, would you let your own personal conflicts emerge into your mind for a moment? Is there a person who you're at odds with and they're on the other side and there's no way you're making peace? Do you have that? Think of that for a moment and listen to this word. When Micah looked down the road, he said this, he shall, that's God shall judge between many people's and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. Here the prophet imagines nations at war, at odds with one another, and then God stepping in between the warring parties, or people who are at odds with one another for whatever reason. There's no more peace between them. There's only aggression, and and Micah envisions God standing right there between the two of them to arbitrate, to finally be the one who stands in between to settle things out and watch what happens. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The prophet imagines swords pointed, spears, and then because of the presence of God in between them, those instruments of war are transformed into instruments for gardening. Can you imagine that? Instead of fighting with one another, you get busy working in the garden together. Does that warm anyone else's heart? If it doesn't warm your heart, plant a garden this coming spring and see what it does to imagine that instead of arms against an enemy, you are striving together with a plowshear grinding up the earth to plant some seeds, or or at the end of the harvest, what you used to use to attack that other is now an instrument of cooperation where together you are reaping what has grown because... You were able to work with one another. The only way this can happen is because God is the one who's decided in the end, he will put an end to all conflict. He will take those parties who used to be at war with one another and bring peace instead. And then because of his intervention, look at what it says in verse four, what will happen for each and every one of them. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Micah ends the vision with that phrase, it's the mouth of the Lord of hosts that has spoken, to make it clear that this is not his best hope or something that he wishes for or that he promises, but instead it is the God who who is the one who is in charge of all things that makes this promise that one day all conflict will be brought to an end and, and peace In the shade cast by a well-tended vine and fruit tree is the future before all those who are simply willing to receive God's grace and mercy and let him be their God. And that's a promise for every single one of you if you would simply open your heart to that. Everyone dwelling beneath his own growing garden. No fear, since the intimidation that always comes with the threat of violence is forever gone, replaced by cooperation and brotherhood. And sisterhood. The mouth of the Lord has said so. Uh, Picture it in terms of our own world's conflicts. No more brutality between people groups that don't see eye to eye. No more animosity between races. No sense of superiority in one ethnicity over another ethnicity. No more hatred between an in group and an out group. Can you imagine that happening? No battles between factions with different ideologies or outlooks, just peace. And if you can't imagine it, listen, try right now to let that vision of a future peace inspire you in the present, the end of conflict in the new garden, the end of the inevitable fights whenever you and your spouse get into that one subject. Does anyone else have that? The end of that argument that always comes up every time you talk to your daughter about that guy or every time that particular ethical issue comes up at the family dinner table Uh, Imagine that going away forever. No more anxiety around what's going to happen at Thanksgiving dinner if that thing comes up. Anybody already facing that? Imagine that's gone forever. All of those will be done. Instead of fighting with each other, we'll turn our attention together to the garden. Won't that be wonderful? God's reconciliation of the world in Christ promises the end of conflict. That's first. But now listen, there's more than that. And, and, And the truth about conflict, and and you'll accept this if you look at yourself, is that conflict is rooted in something deeper down from which it grows. Do you know that when you don't have what you need, it's hard for you not to lash out and want to fight? Um, If it's hard for you to admit that, maybe you or someone you love gets grumpy every afternoon around 1.30 if lunch hasn't been served yet. Because when you don't have what you need, it's hard not to become aggressive. The second gift that comes with the promise of the end is that the leaves of the tree of life will also heal the wounds of the world's unmet needs, bringing about the end of loss. And that's the second promise. God does not only promise to take away conflict, he also promises to restore that which was good And has been lost. Do you have any good thing in your life that you used to have that has been taken away from you? I'm I'm certain that some of you who are here uh, know exactly uh, what comes to mind when I mention that. There are people here who have lost loved ones, or opportunities, or good dreams that never came true, or things that you once had but have been taken away. The prophet Joel makes the promise of another kind of restoration, again, using a garden image when God promises to restore what was lost. Look at Joel 2:25. This is what God says. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. Here Joel is speaking to the people of God, the people of Israel, who've suffered with tremendous loss because they didn't trust God. They departed and went the wrong way. And though they had everything, now everything is lost from them. And the image that Joel uses is the image of a swarm of locusts. Try to imagine a farmer who has worked all season long at growing his crops. He, he tended to the soil so that seeds could be planted, he dug the furrows for each and every row to be sown. He watered and fertilized and managed the crops all season long. And then one morning, off in the distance, he sees a dark cloud moving toward him. It's not a rain cloud. It's a cloud of locusts. And there's nothing that he can do to stop it. And there he has to sit and watch as they overwhelm all of the work that he's done and they destroy it and there's nothing that he can do to stop it. For him, it is a total and a complete loss of everything that he's invested himself in and everything that was good in life. Can any of you relate to that kind of loss in your own life? When when out of your control, some negative comes, and it takes it away. It is to people in that position that, that God speaks through the prophet Joel to give a word of assurance for the future, In the script which God writes, listen now, human sin and God's wrath against it. And both of those are realities in our world. We do the wrong thing and it awakens a righteous indignation in God who is perfectly just. But in God's economy and in the word that God speaks, it is never human sin or God's wrath against it that have the last word. Instead, it is a word of mercy, from God that comes in the end, because that's who God is, a God who says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, even as they've come from God. God's anger, listen, the scripture says this, God's anger is only for a moment, but his faithfulness is, does anyone know how that ends? Man, you got to learn your promises better. (laughs) His favor is for a lifetime. Take that to heart. God's anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. His steadfast love. Never ends. His mercies are new. Does anybody know every, help me here, every morning. And again, if you don't know this, take it to heart that, that the, the day can be ruined by your own unfaithfulness. But the truth about the end is God's mercy will have the last word because that's whose God has decided to be. And it means divine repayment for everything that has been lost. And now please let it emerge in your own heart. What are the good things that you have lost for which you carry wounds and they make life miserable for you? Is it that you had some well founded hope that you worked hard for, but then because of someone else's unfaithfulness, it was all taken away from you and now you have to suffer the consequences? If that's it for you, let that come to mind. Or is it that you had this kind of life that you dreamed of with your spouse, and though you had it, now things have changed and it's gone completely? Is that it for you? Or maybe you were emotionally strong and well-founded and now you don't understand why, but your heart, it's like your heart has turned against you and now it's just emptiness and it is such a chore even to get here today. Is that you? Maybe you've lost the plans that you had with your children. Does anybody live with that kind of loss? Not able to see what happened with them. This is the one that I relate to most, honestly. As a father who lived through divorce, and I have two older sons who live far away. When they were little, every single day I wasn't with them was like a fresh wound for me of loss. And there wasn't anything I could do to get it back. I'll tell you right now, the only people who know what that pain is like is parents who have to live far away from their kids. And some, some of you don't have that experience, but some of you do. Uh, I would put right beside it the pain of seeing your children suffer and not being able to do anything about it, to fix it. Some of you know that? Whatever that loss is, the promise that comes from God is that one day, all of that loss will be restored. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have destroyed, God says. Can you imagine that at the end, receiving some kind of divine repayment for all of the grief that you lost? Yes or no? That's a second promise that is given by God, and it's meant to help you now in the, in the present move forward to the future. Maybe for you... Maybe for you, the loss is the worst kind of loss that anyone can live through. It's the loss that comes when instead of being physically sound, the body becomes ill. And then instead of becoming healed, it gets worse and worse until that thief of love and life comes to visit death. I know that some of you live with that. Here, there's a third promise from the healing that will come with the leaves that are growing on the tree of life, and it is the end of illness the end of illness as an incremental thief of joy and i know some of you live with with pain and illness today or you have loved ones whose lives are diminished day after day, because the body is not working. Physical infirmity and the grief that illness brings into the world is unfathomable. It's one of the facts of human existence, I think, that makes it hard for many to believe in a good God. But the tree will bring the end of illness too, and with it the end of death. Isaiah, the prophet, speaks of a final transformation, again using garden imagery, when he looks down the road and sees illness by God finally overcome. Listen to these inspiring words. This is Isaiah 35, 5. Then, Isaiah says, down the road the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Four of the most devastating physical conditions in ancient times, limiting human capacity, each one, according to Isaiah, reversed in the end. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can leap, and the tongue of the speechless won't only speak but sing for joy. How does it come about? Look at verse 6. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You see the imagery, the water of life in the desert. It's impossible, but God will make it happen. And the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The river of life. Where it goes, everything Lives. God's presence with his people in the end will mean the end of illness. All who suffer physical infirmity, be encouraged. In the end, it will end and be gone forever. The healing power of God's presence will even overturn death. If you have lost a loved one to death, would you let that person come to mind for a moment, as painful as it is? You know, God knows the loss that you live with because of the loss of that dearly beloved. God knows everything you didn't have because he died. God knows the pain of waking up and that child of yours is not there with you right now and won't be at Thanksgiving or at Christmas. And it's heavy. Death is so heavy and painful. Have some of you learned that, especially in this last year and a half? I'm sure you have. In September... I sat beside the bedside of a man who'd become a dear friend, John, just back in March, and he looked nothing like he looked in March because cancer had turned his body into a different body. In the middle of March, I met him on the 15th, he and I talked about running, and he promised to be my running coach. The very next day, he called me from the oncologist with really bad news. I agreed that I would coach him through his illness, and we knew that my coaching for the marathon would end on October 3rd. Uh, That's when I would run the marathon in London. We didn't know when his illness would end and whether it would end in a miracle. We prayed for a miracle, but when I saw him at the end of September, it seemed like there was nothing but death ahead of him. After giving me some last-minute pointers for the run, we were quiet, and then I told him, John, I feel really sad right now. And I told him, I'd always wished that you and I would get to run together, and now it doesn't look like that will happen. He said, Christian, can I tell you about a dream that I had? I'd like to know what you think it means. In my dream, I woke up in the bed that I'm in here, but my health was completely restored and my strength was back. I jumped up out of the bed, and I immediately began to run all over the house to find glory. Glory is John's wife. I wanted her to see that I was okay again, but I couldn't find her, and no matter where I went, I just couldn't find her. And then I woke from my dream, and here I am. I can barely move. What do you think it means? Immediately, I felt it it was clear what it meant to me, that God speaks to us through our dreams, I said, John, I think this is the future that awaits you. There will be a day when you're completely restored to health and strength, and you'll be able to run again. But it will be before Gloria experiences that same renewal. But take heart, because one day there will be a reunion, and you will see her restored as you yourself will be restored, because one day God will bring an end to all illness, and he will even overturn death. I also thought about what it would be like for me to get to run with John in that reunion. And I plan on it. I plan on running with him. I'm going to try to train until I get there so that hopefully I can run as fast as he will because I know he's a good runner. But all of you are invited to trust that in God's mercy, which has the last word, that those whose hearts were given to him will experience that kind of reunion when illness and death are at an end. Would you take heart with that, would you? One last thing that we're given to trust through the prophets that look ahead, and that is that one day we will also experience the end of sorrow. And this is the broadest of all of them. Uh, There are innumerable things which bring sorrow into life. Uh, It's well put in, in the book of Proverbs when it says that like a moth in clothing or a worm in wood, sorrow gnaws at the human heart. Does that feel like it describes your own experience of grief? Like something slowly and steadily eating away the integrity of what's on the inside. That's what sorrow's like. If you've lived with loss, you know that persistent grief can be the very hardest of all pains. Heart sickness is worse than any other sickness. One of the images that the biblical authors use to depict prolonged grief is the desert. And it makes sense when you think of it, because the desert is that place where the lack of water means that nothing good can grow. And as time moves on, and as the water consistently evaporates, life is further and further away. And some of you know just what that's like today, because it's like all of the joy has been evaporated out of your life like the water from the desert. But the truth about the present right now is that God knows exactly what you're going through, and every sigh that you have inside is known to him. His ear attends to our soul's every whimper. He sees the tears that you hide from everyone else. He keeps track. And one day, the tree of life from which we are all invited to eat will bring healing even to every sorrow, turning our deserts of grief into a joyful garden. Here, listen to the promise, Jeremiah 31, 12b. Their life shall become like a watered garden and they shall never languish again. No more wasting away through the steady decline brought about by sadness. But instead, there will be life, new life, like a garden that is well watered. Jeremiah goes on to depict the promise with an image of joyful celebration. This is verse 13. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow the prophet imagines a dance where everyone is dancing together. Are there any here who love to dance? Yes or no? If you love to dance, can you put up your hands? What about the rest of us who dread when you're there at the, at the wedding and the DJ says, come on, get up out of your seats, and you hate that DJ because you can't move. That's me. But in the end, listen, in the end, we'll all be dancing, all of us, young and old together, men and women, and it will be merry, It will be pure, and total, and complete, rejoicing forever. All grief, all sorrow, all sadness, gone. It will never come back no more pain, just delightful celebration. And hidden in this is a very unique depiction of exchange, which is meant to bring heart, especially to the one here who has the deepest mourning. Did you notice it's not just that your mourning will end, but that God will give you joy for your mourning and that sorrow will be turned into gladness. It's as if every everything that you give over that causes mourning will be returned as an element of joy so that the deeper your sorrow now, the deeper your excitement and and laughter and revelry and merriment will be then. This is a picture of what you are given to hope for at the end. Everyone is celebrating, and the unselfconscious, purely delightful celebration will be one where even I get on the dance floor. (laughs) And notice, notice, listen, notice that it will be forever. There will be no end to this. Uh, their, Their life will never languish Again, imagine every stinging regret over past failure for you will be something that it is easy for you to laugh about. Imagine that. Where every wound you carry from a loved one is replaced with a hearty chuckle. Every sigh becomes a song. The groans from unmet hopes give way to gladness. Every heart-sick moment turned into pure contentment. The leaves of the tree of life that grow in the city in the end they will bring about the healing of the nations. And that will mean, let's see all four of them, the end of conflict will mean the end of loss, the end of illness, and the end of sorrow forever. How does God do this? There is an element in the vision, which I haven't yet pointed out, which answers the question of how God does this in the city. Look again at where the river comes from. It was flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. On God's throne in the center of the city sits the lamb. And that lamb right there is the image of Jesus that captures most pointedly who God has decided to be in Christ. And that is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Whatever regret you have for misdeeds, for transgressions, for iniquities that you wish you had never been guilty of, whatever sin you've carried, that lamb on the throne is the one who has the authority to say to you, I've decided to die in your place and take it away from you so that you have a place here in this city forever, that you can drink from the water from which uh, you will never be thirsty again and partake of this tree of life and all will be healed. Your only part, this is your part, is simply to trust Jesus, to accept his acceptance of you, to gladly receive his offering for your sin and gratefully embrace the freedom. That it means for you. And then let that future promise carry you forward through today, no matter what the challenges are that you face. Hope for this. And in the end, Eden will be restored and we will be free forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's join our hearts together in prayer one more time. God, I thank you for the good promises of paradise restored. I thank you that you have determined to be the one who comes to set all things right to put an end to everything that has gone wrong, to take away definitively all conflict and restore peace. I thank you that you are the one who promises to give back that which has been lost, which was good. For every loss that we bear, inspire us with the hope that one day it will be restored. I thank you also for the astounding assurance that one day illness and even death itself will be reversed, that all that has gone wrong physically will be overturned. And for those that we've lost and loved, who are in your embrace and in your mercy, that there will be a reunion. When we are sore in our hearts because we don't have them, assure us that there will be a day where we will see them again. And then for every grief and every sorrow and every sadness, remind us that you are the one who promises to invite us to the dance where all loss and grief and sadness is overturned and replaced with joy. Until then, encourage us to keep going and hang in there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.